Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Good morning, brothers and sisters, kids. Oh, you got so quiet so quickly. I appreciate that. Well, this is going to be a replacement message to the opening of the new series. We're going to talk about Nehemiah, Ezra, Ezra, Nehemiah series. That's going to have to go off for another week. But in the meantime, I'm taking this opportunity to talk about something that's happening at our two campuses in two weeks. And that is we're having a water baptism at each campus in two weeks. So I'm going to do a shorter message today. But the idea is I'm going to set up for this opportunity we have to do water baptism. And I also noted this when I was considering, this is about two and a half years ago. This is a little bit of a repeat of the same concepts from that message that I did two and a half years ago on this topic. I was pondering the sacrament of matrimony and also noting how similar There are things that are done in the marriage wedding ceremony, as is also happens in the baptismal ceremony as well. So I've titled this message, A Wedding in Water, and I got a couple of references to help us stay on track with this. And I have to call this the sacrament of matrimony, because you can't just say marriage anymore, because marriage needs matrimony everything today. So it's really hard to speak of anything other than matrimony and know what I mean because society has attempted to redefine a 6,000-year-old institution with just a few words and actually by uh, changing laws, they're trying to redefine it, but they can't do that. Especially amongst us biblical conservatives, we've begun to use this word called matrimony. Anyway, sacraments in general, sacraments are acts that open up portals of God's grace. That is, grace meaning, grace in this context means power to do a specific task. We were just talking about in that one song, there is power in the name of Jesus. That's because God pours grace into us because of our devotion to Jesus Christ. And so in the act of the sacraments, we get grace. We get grace for different things. So those sacraments then provide power and the ability to live out the vows, the promises that we make. So the purpose of this message is to remind all of us who were baptized of the vows we made and perhaps renew our devotion to Jesus. But as a side benefit, as we compare baptism to the sacrament of matrimony, all of us married folk, we may find ourselves revisiting and renewing in our mind our marriage vows, our marital promises in our minds, if not also in our hearts. So my first concept I'd like to bring about is this one. The sacraments of baptism and matrimony share characteristics, and that's what we're going to delve into and study today. I became aware of this mostly because it was a time when I was 
two weddings in two months. So you think a lot about weddings, think about wedding messages. It was all coming out right around the same time when we were planning baptism. So the teaching then of Jesus' followers regarding their vows of baptism. For anybody who follows Jesus, you understand what it means to make a promise to Jesus in following after him. And I was refreshed on how similar the vows are that we do in baptism and the vows that we made when we got married. So the first one is this, and then we'll go to the scriptures on this one. And that is this concept here. Baptism and matrimony are sacraments of union. That is, unity is produced as a result of this. And if you turn to a passage in Romans 6, verse 5, Paul wrote this to the Roman church. For we have been united with him in death like his. We will then certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Here's a little freebie for you guys from Genesis 2. It says this, Therefore a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast, or some of your passages say cleave to, cling to, or be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So most of our, this actual passage from uh, Genesis 2 has been quoted probably more than any other verse in the Old Testament in the New Testament, believe it or not. You'll find this quoted by Matthew and by Mark, quoting Jesus, and Paul uses it twice in his epistles. So both baptism and matrimony are celebrating something. They're both celebrating a relationship. That's what's happening in both baptism and in matrimony. And it's an enormous spiritual step to form this union with Jesus, to walk with him by faith, just as the union in a wedding is a major step in the relationship between a man and woman who are in love and have decided then to join their lives together. So those of us who now belong to Christ, let's be reminded, let's be reminded yet again afresh what our baptism meant to us at that time. Don't forget your first love, how thrilled you were when you first discovered how much Jesus loves you. How grateful you were when you understood that he forgave you for all of your sins. And all your mess-ups as well. We call those things sins today, okay? But that's what they are. They're just all of our mess-ups. And every time... I show the baptism class, and we talk about doing a cardboard testimony. I start out by showing them my cardboard testimony. It's a testimony on one side of the cardboard, what my life is like before Christ, and then I turn it over and it shows what my life is like since Jesus has come into my life. It takes 10 seconds, but it's really powerful. And I love to do that every year to model that for them, but also it reminds me of all that Jesus has done for me. So my next concept here is this one. That is, baptism and matrimony are sacraments of covenant. A covenant is formed in both of those sacraments. As one of the sacraments of the church, we believe in what we call believer baptism, 
The Latin word for believer, to believe is credo. So we call that credo Baptist. We are credo Baptists as opposed to pedo or infant baptism. That is, we believe that when you have formed a relationship with Jesus, when you covenant in your heart with him and form that union, the basis for that, the celebration for that, the event of that is baptism. That's when you seal it. That's when you publicly declare that. So that as Jesus has promised, amongst other things, he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. He promises that whoever believes in him will not be lost, but will have eternal life with him. So for our part in the baptism covenant, we use words. We use words to make this covenant. Likewise, in the covenant of matrimony, the bride and groom get up. They use words. They pledge vows of their love to one another, their faithfulness to each other, and they do it before God. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, if you want to turn there, Paul is writing to teach husbands and wives how to submit to one another. Now, this little passage is a little cryptic. It's a bit difficult to decipher, but try to keep up with me here today if you can. Verse 25 says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now listen to this next verse. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now the word used for washing there is very rare. In fact, in the New Testament, it's only used this one time. And it could have said some other word like baptisma. It could have said some other word to indicate another kind of washing. But it doesn't. It sort of like means a bathing, a being bathed in something. As a figure of what I believe Paul's trying to communicate to the Ephesians was their baptism. There are a number of theologians who believe that's a reference to baptism. And with the word, referring to the word is that is, your baptism is the time when you speak a word. The word there is not God's word. We always think of it as being scripture. A lot of people refer to this as scripture. Rather, others are saying the word referred to here is the word of your declaration, your vow, your promise, your open testimony word is what it's referring to. Your declaration of faith. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. Of course, Paul ends this section, verse 32, regarding the marriage relationship that he's really talking about. What this is really about is not about marriage, but it's about Christ and the church. And this is an example of how the covenantal marriage relationship works. Christ loves the church and his role in the covenant. And it is worded as though the baptism part of the covenant is really how Christ cleanses us, washes us to be ready to be presented to him without wrinkle or blemish. Then somehow in this passage where Paul's written it, water baptism or bathing is the outward expression of fulfilling the act of the covenant. And that's the covenant relationship between Jesus and his people. 
And it happens one person at a time. Each of us get to enter into that covenantal relationship between Jesus and his church. One individual by individual. And it's expressed by words, public declaration. So in both covenants, both matrimony and in baptism, sometimes there's an unstated expectation that this covenant vow may be for all of our lives, or even into eternity if that were possible. We do know that marriages are, are not, they do not exist in heaven. Jesus says that, makes that clear. But perhaps the vows that we make to Jesus will go for all eternity. And by the way, this decision we make to follow Jesus is not based on feelings. It is a covenant. How many of you know that covenant is not based on emotions? Right? Lisa was at a wedding with one of her friends shortly after we got married. And the wedding vow that she pledged to her husband was, she said, as long as we both shall love. What? I said, did I hear that right? In other words, we will be married as long as we both shall love. No surprise that marriage did not last many years, making a pledge like that. No, but the covenantal concept here is it doesn't depend on feelings, dare I say. The covenantal relationship is not based on good feelings. You may not even be in love with Jesus. You may not even like what he's doing with your life or the plans that he has laid out for you. You may not like them, but you made a covenant promise with him when you got baptized. And you said, in essence, to Jesus, for better or for worse, I'm in with you, Jesus. Whatever may come, Jesus, I'm pledging right now, I'm going after you, no matter what happens. And so it's really key for us to capture the power of this thing called covenant And recognizing this is what happens when we form a baptismal covenant. We don't often talk about that. And we get to publicly declare that pledge to Jesus. Amy Grant had her song, which is very aged at this point. She says, I have decided I'm going to live like a believer. I'm going to turn my back on the deceiver. I'm going to live what I believe, is what she says. That is a plain definite decision. And that decision, not depending on feelings or circumstances, we need the sacramental grace. Remember I said the sacraments bring grace? We need the grace to stick with those decisions. And how many of you know that in marriage, you need the grace to stick with that decision, right? It's really important. This afternoon, we're going to be doing a marriage renewal service. Maybe some of you have seen that, where a couple renews their wedding vows. The big difference is when we say yes to Jesus, we don't know what's going to come into the situation. But when you're renewing your vows, you know what you got into. You see, this is not an unknown quantity anymore, okay? This is well-defined, and you get to say, yes, and I do know this person too. See, that's powerful. That's really powerful. So, Lisa and I established a kind of hokey family tradition. We listen to our wedding ceremony recording every year on our anniversary. And that's only because in the day we got married, there was no such thing as videotape. So we have it recorded on a cassette, 
which I knew that if we played year after year after year, eventually it was going to deteriorate. And so I said, what do we do to preserve this? So somebody helped me to figure out a way to put it onto CD. So now our, our wedding ceremony is on CD, and we listen to it every year. And the organ music is terrible. And we usually fast forward through that because the organ was out of tune. It was one of those things. But it just reminisces us about God's calling that he placed in our relationship, and we renew it every year. So when you watch the baptism that's going to happen, perhaps in this baptistry in two weeks, I want you to be reminded of your first love for Jesus. I want you to be reminded of the day when you said yes to him, and you didn't know what life was going to be like, but you're still with him now, and now you do know very much. And also, maybe that'd be an opportunity for you to recommit to the things that Jesus called you to when you said, I do, to him. So my next point is this one. Baptism and matrimony are sacraments of public declaration. And what I mean by this is a public celebration. It's an important component that the ceremonies should be public, whether it's baptism or matrimony. In the case of matrimony, the newly covenanted unit is a formation of a new family. It is to be exclusive from all other relationships. There should be no higher relationship than the relationship between a husband and a wife. Did you ever think about that? It's very important. In the early Roman Catholic traditions, before a couple could get married, they had to publish their bans. The word comes from Latin meaning proclamation, a proclamation of marriage. They intend to marry, so they post them. The purpose of the bans was to enable anyone to raise any religious or legal impediment. If they have anything to say about it, this is the time to say so. If you think there is any reason why this couple should not be getting married, is there any reason why this marriage would be invalid? Speak now or forever hold your peace, we say in the ceremony. That's a throwback before the days of communication like we have today, where people now publicly, sometimes in the paper, have engagement announcements. And that is if somebody else says, wait a minute, she's my wife. You know what I mean? That shouldn't happen. And serious, there's some legal implications to this. I was on a trip for air products back in the day, and we would get sent all over the world. And one of our trips all over the world, there was a guy in our department, I'm going to say his name was Richardson, Mr. Richardson. And they said, Richardson, there's a woman out here who says she's your wife. And we're like, really? And so Richardson got very nervous. And one of the other guys I was working with says, that is not Mrs. Richardson. And we realized, uh-oh. Now, the problem with being a startup engineer is you go all kinds of places all around the world, and you're not home very often. So what happened to this guy is he formed two families. Really serious. So he was in deep trouble both legally and also with the company for doing that. So I respected Air Products for taking a position like that. But that's just to say the public nature of matrimony is required so that the union is valid legally. Listen, there is a legal aspect to baptism as well. It's not so much it's a matter of 
being unified with Jesus, but it's actually a matter of ownership. Let me explain it this way. In water baptism, when you make those vows, there is a declaration that we make. It's a spiritual warfare declaration that this person, the soul of this baptism candidate, is not up for grabs anymore. This person now belongs to Jesus Christ. And it is warfare. So the opening of the vows that we take in our baptismal vows is a direct claim to Satan. And we renounce Satan and all of his works because he no longer owns you because now you belong to Jesus. Now you belong to Jesus. And we have to get this into our mindset. Some of us said, look, I've never belonged to Satan in my life, okay? I've only ever been the boss of me, and then I gave my life to Jesus. Well, you know what? That's not true. Because Jesus even said to the Pharisees, you belong to your father, the devil. You didn't know it, but you actually belong to the devil. And that's what Jesus says. So when we come to baptism, we renounce Satan. We tell him where to get off. These candidates no longer belong to him. And in the Greek Orthodox tradition, we spit in Satan's face. Did you know that? Okay, how many of you have seen my big fat Greek wedding? Right? And the wife is kind of going all the time. She's cursing Satan because that's a Greek tradition, to spit in Satan's face, which is what they do when a Greek baby gets dedicated or baptized. They spit in Satan's face. The sponsors look down at the carpet and spit three times. Because that's what we do when somebody gets baptized. We said, Satan, get out. This person now belongs to Jesus. And we publicly announce that. We make that known to the world that this person now, Jesus is their only love. We say to all other interlopers, beware, this person now belongs to Jesus. Look, I know some people have private backyard baptisms in their pools. But like private weddings, there's no opportunity for the community to adjust to or react to this new change in the relationship. So like matrimony, I think baptisms are best done publicly. I think they're best done in community, where we can all together say, wow, this person has now formed a union with Jesus, and that's declared publicly. Well, the baptism prepares us to become participants in another very significant wedding ceremony coming up. Do you guys have a photo that you could put up for me at this time? Yes. Listen, I wish you could... (laughs) I wish you could have all come to our wedding... (laughs) It was a great wedding. It was. But listen, (laughs) so some of you did because a year after we got married, we froze the top part of our cake in a freezer. And we took it out of that freezer and we said to all the young adults here at McCungie Baptist Church, we said, you guys want to come to our wedding? We're going to cut our wedding cake today. It's been frozen for a year. It won't taste very good. We want you all to celebrate with us. So it was really a great ceremony there where you're able to do that. When you become a follower of Jesus, and then when you place your faith in him, listen to this. 
And when you trust in his perfect sacrifice on the cross for your sins, your name goes on a wedding invitation list. Listen, very important wedding feast that you're invited to. I can't tell you when the date is exactly, but I know I'm invited, and so can you. Dare I say, it's a very important wedding because you are the bride. In my Bible, there's a section in the book of Revelation, and in the heading it says, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19, verse 6 says this, And then I heard what seemed to be a voice of many of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory unto him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. This is the marriage of Jesus to his church, to his redeemed, to those for whom he died, for those who followed after him into the waters of baptism and made their vows to him. These are the ones. So in two weeks, we're going to invite you to celebrate with those who are going to get baptized, both campuses, to a wedding in water. It's June 12th. I hope you can all be there. But most importantly, I don't want you to come to the marriage. Don't you, importantly this, don't you want to come to the marriage feast of the Lamb of God? Don't you don't want to miss that wedding. I'm sure you don't want to miss that wedding because you get to be the bride of Jesus, who is the Lamb. Well, perhaps you're hearing these words today and you would like to understand what it means to be united to Jesus because you need to know, maybe, you need to know somebody who can save you from your current condition. You need to know there's somebody who paid a price for you because Jesus died for all of your mess-ups, for all of your sin. And that the only way that you can be saved from the consequences of your sin is by believing in what Jesus has done for you. Let's all pray together, and I'm going to pray a prayer. Just bow your heads. Close your eyes. Listen carefully as I pray these words. Would you pray them in your heart as I pray them out loud right now? Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. Please forgive me. I've decided I do want to follow you. Please help me. I need a way out of my sinful life. Jesus, thank you for dying me. Thank you that you forgive me. Please give me your spirit. I receive your spirit. I want to be united with you. 
so you can be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, if that prayer expresses what is in your heart today, if you are online or even here in one of our sanctuaries here, if this is the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, would you be willing to indicate that by lifting up a hand in the air so the ushers can give you a packet with information about that decision you made? Anyone at all? Is there one, anyone here today who made that decision for the very first time? We want to acknowledge that by giving you some information. Okay? To our online community, I just want to mention to you, if you can wait to the end of the broadcast, there's instructions on what you can do in response to this. Please stand. And let's pray together. Lord, we yield today to your Holy Spirit. And we know, Spirit of God, that you're at work in us. And yet, Lord, we know we have fallen short of our promises. Lord, we've fallen short of our vows. The ones we made in the water when we got baptized, but also, Lord, even in our matrimony vows, in our wedding vows, we've fallen short of those high vows that we claimed. So, Lord, we plead for grace, for forgiveness. God, forgive us. But also, Lord, the grace to empower us to live out these words. God, give us grace, we pray to fulfill the vows we have taken. And I pray, Lord, that over these next couple of weeks that you would bless all of the candidates who will be making that covenant with you in the water in just a few weeks. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.